All right. If you would turn with me to Jeremiah 5. I don't know where it's at in your Bibles. I didn't look it up ahead of time. Sorry. But you guys got skills. Pretend it's a Bible drill. Jeremiah 5. Starting at verse 1. Hear God's word. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search our squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great, and I will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike have broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall strike them down. A wolf from the desert shall devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are great. How can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed, well-fed lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Go up through her vine rows and destroy But make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus it shall be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I'm making my words in your mouth of fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Behold, I'm bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It's an enduring nation. It's an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know. Nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They're all mighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. Thou shalt eat up your sons and your daughters. Thou shalt eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees, your fortified cities in which you trust. They shall beat down with the sword. But even in those days, declare the Lord, I will make... I will not make a full end of you. And when you people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. 
Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears, ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. For the wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper. And they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, um, we thank you for this word to Jeremiah. And Lord, we, we sense that it touches our times just as much as it touches them in their day. Lord, we pray that you would help um, your word to go deep within us, Lord, help it to accomplish the task for which you have designed for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God gave Jeremiah a difficult task. He was commanded to go through the, st- the cities of Jerusalem to find one righteous man, a man who ju- does justice and seeks truth. Jeremiah went through Jerusalem looking. Apparently, he started with the poor. Some put on a good show, saying things like, as the Lord lives. But then they would swear falsely. It is a mistake to believe that being poor makes you inherently righteous. The poor do not necessarily have any more righteousness than the rich by virtue of their poverty. If they steal and covet because they are poor, if they envy others better off than themselves, then they are no more virtuous than the rich who get that way by usury and extortion. Nevertheless, Jeremiah cuts them some slack, saying, they are only the poor. They don't have any sense. They don't know the way of the Lord. So then he describes that he will go to the great, the kings, the priests, the scribes, the prophets, those who rule, who sacrifice, who judge. Did Jeremiah find a lover of justice, of truth among the great? The answer is a resounding nope. Nope. Not one. What did he find instead? But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. There is a grim irony here. Every person in Jerusalem had broken God's yoke from him. They had removed the bonds that God had placed on them. So what is the irony? Did they find freedom when they removed God's restraints? Did they discover hope and life and truth? No. 
They slipped down into the rabbit hole, as it were. You know, Bob Dylan got it right when he famously sang, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble and you may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Life is not easy for anyone. But we can definitely make it harder than it needs to be for ourselves. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. Christ says it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. When we take Christ's yoke upon us, he can teach us gentleness and humility. It protects us from the tempting but self-destructive practices of self-indulgence. It gives us the discipline to walk with God. It conforms our minds to Christ. and And we can't underestimate the value of this promise It provides rest for our souls. When our hearts get so weary and downtrodden that we feel we just can't go on, he provides rest for our soul. So why is the Christian life so fraught with challenges? Well, one reason is because we take off Christ's yoke and put on a different yoke sometimes, I believe, thinking we know better. The reality is the easiest pass is learning from the yoke of Jesus, however. We need to take Christ at his word. Jeremiah did not find a single righteous person that would have justified God pardoning this great city. They had all broken God's bonds, his yoke. They thought they knew better than God. You know, that is, this is not the first time that God would have shown mercy for the sake of the righteous remnant. We can remember um, Abraham in Genesis 18 negotiating with God to spare the city of Sodom. Abraham starts at 50 and by decades comes all the way to 10 righteous persons in the city of Sodom. If God had found 10 righteous persons, he would have spared the city. And there were not ten. In fact, when all was said and done, there's only three that really escaped unharmed from Sodom, Lot and his two daughters, since we know his wife turned to a pillar of salt by looking back and was condemned. But even those three, shortly after Lot, you know, he did that, after he got out of Sodom, he conceived children by his own daughters through drunkenness, incest, and treachery. And trickery, I should say. From that, it could be argued that there were no righteous persons in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Psalm 14 reiterates this theme. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become correct. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Because there was not one righteous person in Jerusalem, what was the consequence? Well, the passage tells us the lion, the wolf, and the leopard would strike them down, devastate them, and tear them to pieces. And now comes even the sadder news. God asks, how can I pardon you? You know, when you pardon somebody, the expectation is repentance and remorse. But what is found in this city instead? That the children have forsaken God. They have sworn by false gods. And when God feeds them, it simply gives them more strength to go to the whorehouses and hunger after their neighbors' wives like lusty stallions, it says. God saw, saw no reason not to punish and avenge himself in a nation like that. Verse 10 states, Go up through her vine rows and destroy, make, and make, but make not a full end. Strip her branches, for they are not the Lord's. God is the vine here, and, and Judah is the branches. What is happening to these branches that no longer God, that are what God intended? They are stripped and they are destroyed. This is a distant echo of Christ's words found in John 15. I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. These branches have been treacherous, and they have spoken falsely, saying, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. They predicted that God would not bring disaster or sword or famine. Now, what do you think, what do you predict would be the just consequence for those who lied about what God would do? Bring upon them the very consequence that they lied about. And that is exactly what God said will be done to them. They would get disaster and sword and famine. God would bring a great nation, an old nation, a warrior nation, a merciless nation, a nation who would not know their language and would not understand their pleas for mercy. This brutal nation would eat their harvest and food their vines and figs and flocks and herds and even their sons and daughters and smashed the fortified cities with the sword. Yet God spared some of them, we're told in verses 18 through 20. It states, But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, Why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You should say to them, As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. The remnant would know why God has done these things to them. You will notice there is a sowing and reaping principle applied to this consequence. You forsook God and served foreign gods in your land. Now God will forsake you to serve native gods in a land that is not yours. Everything, everything is now inverted do you think Israel was better off with the inversion or worse? Beware when God gives you what you lust after. Because when you get everything else associated with those lusts, that's what happens. You trade the worship of God for the worship of idols. You trade the burden of a yoke of obedience to God to a yoke of obedience to your addictions or your oppressors. You trade the inheritance of God in the promised land for enslavement in a foreign one. 
You got what you wanted, but you have discovered it is a curse instead. Verse 20 continues, Declare this in the house of Jacob, proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? God tells them they are senseless people. Now think about that word, senseless. Break it up. Sense and less. Having no senses. If you go to a dictionary, it has two meanings. Destitute and deprived of sensation. Another definition, lacking common sense. Wildly foolish. It has a double negative meaning, both of which are applicable in this context. You know, Dr. Paul Brand, he is a, a, a doctor in Carville, Louisiana. He tells a story, a tragic story, of a le- leprous patient of his whose name was Jose. For Jose, it all started when he contracted leprosy. Because of his disease, he lost all sense of touch. We know that leprosy destroys the nerve endings. So he could not feel. He could not feel when he was hurting himself because his nerves told him, didn't tell him anything was wrong. You know, he had a rare reaction to medication to treat him, and he lost his hearing. Leprosy also invades the lining of his nose, and so he no longer smelled or tasted. And in one final horrible stroke, because his body did not sense his eyes drying out, he developed glaucoma because he didn't blink, and he became blind. Hosea became completely and literally senseless. He had no way of perceiving the outside world. He could speak, he could yell out, but he had no way of hearing or seeing or feeling or smelling or tasting for a single answer. How do you think Hosea responded to this extreme sensory deprivation? It was literally killing him. He had begun to curl up into a ball and waste away. Thankfully, Paul Brand's wife was an eye surgeon, and she operated on his eyes. She could not bear to look at him suffering like he was. And when they took off the bandage, his vision was partially restored in one eye. And for the first time in weeks, Jose smiled. And he began to attend church with the Brands, and people would stoop and look down at his one good eye, and he would beam. Jose had no longer was no longer senses. He could see the light of Christ in the gospel. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? This lack of spiritual insight is not unique to Jeremiah's time. In fact, Jesus quotes Jeremiah in Mark 8, a passage most of us are familiar with. It states, now they'd forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, had said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. 
And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? A little leaven works through the whole lump, as it were. The leaven of the Pharisees was a religion of legalism, of working their way to God without loving him. And the leaven of Herod and of the Herodians was a religion of tolerance and licentiousness and materialism. Jeremiah's time, Christ's time, and our time. The things that harden our hearts are still all around. The things that make us senseless to perceiving God. The things that make us unperceptive of the reasons for our creation, for our existence, for our purpose in this world. His own disciples were arguing about bread standing in the presence of a man who could feed 5,000 with five loaves. But he was not just a superhuman bread machine like some wanted. He was the bread author, the designer of the wheat and of the seed, of the sun and the rain and the seasons and the harvests. Here stood the author of creation in their midst, and they did not see. And when he warned them to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians, they did not hear. They were too busy worrying about where they were going to get their next meal to consider things of greater import. Like many of us, their lives got so pervaded by the yeast of materialism or the lust of this world or the yeast of seeking to earn your way to the kingdom of God without loving the king of the kingdom. Jeremiah was given the task at the beginning of this chapter to find one righteous man who sought truth and justice. And he did not find him because there was no one to be found. Not one in Jerusalem, not in Judea, not in Israel, not in the whole wide world. Consider the task again. If you find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her. The great majority of the people in this world come into the world with five senses. Eyes, ears, taste, touch, smell. What are we to do with these senses, O senseless ones? Every person to ever exist is expected to become a life scientist and an adventurer and a historian. Each of us also has Jeremiah's task to seek and to find just one man who does justice and seeks truth. Jeremiah had to search forward in prophecies and oracles, and we must look behind to find this man. But he can be found and he can be known. Just one man has ever or ever will do justice and seek truth. And only one man will pay the purchase price the Father requires to pardon us all. To redeem our souls. The scripture fills our senses with this knowledge. Concerning sight. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows in me will not walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. John 8.12 Concerning hearing. And they brought to him a man who was deaf. And had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And after looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
Mark 7. Concerning touch. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Matthew 8, 1 through 3. We could say that Jesus touched him to restore his ability to feel. Concerning smell, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Concerning taste, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. And the sensory test summary can be found in 1 John 1, 1. That which from, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Knowing Christ is eternal life. God has given us five senses so that we can know Christ better with all of them. It's time for all of us to come to our senses and know the Father and the Son and discover all the wondrous glories he has prepared for us to know him and to make him known. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this passage from Jeremiah, Lord. We thank you um, for the Son of Man who came into the world to, like, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that he's, he's restored every one of our senses to the right relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, help us with our senses, all five of them, to bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.